The prayer equip, we started this week, but you're welcome to come this week. I want to encourage you to get along. Equip is a very important word. It's because we don't want you to come to church on a Sunday and learn things about Sunday. We want to equip you for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then Sunday we come back and celebrate. Amen. So like we can pray on a Sunday. It's easy to pray here on a Sunday morning. But like well, what's going to happen on Monday morning? Or what's going to happen when life hits? That like we don't want you to go, oh, I have to wait till Sunday. That you will know how to call upon the Lord. How to pray. How to deal with things in, in, in that space. Also... Um, for parents, there's a teenage, like we're going to call it help to survive your teenagers without killing them. But we said that's a very negative type of a course to put on. So we didn't call it that, but we called it parent equip or how to raise teenagers or whatever we called it. And then also the teenagers are here and they're upstairs and they had a great time because we could hear them down here in the prayer equip. And then there's also the Alpha, which what is the Alpha? If you're a new Christian or exploring Christianity, Alpha is a foundation layer for for you to know why Jesus came, what did he do, um, how did he do, and all of the things that Jesus accomplished so that we have a foundation to build our lives upon. And I want to encourage you with with absolute everything that's within me. If you can get there, get there. Because I don't want you in five years' time saying, you know, I built this big house and uh, my life has been built up and built up and now it's all after crumbling in because the devil told me I'm not going to heaven. You know what I'm going to say to you? Where were you five years ago when I was trying to put that foundation into your life? That's the truth. We don't want you. I don't care. You can look on YouTube and all that stuff and whatever. This is the bottom rung. See, the, see this big building? I'll say there's a fair amount of ton in this building with you wait and wait. What sustains it is what was laid below the ground that you cannot see. And our lives, Jesus said it, don't build your house upon sand, because when the rains come, that's be gone. But build it upon the rock, amen. So that's a real pitch out to you that is only new. I want you to make it through this with, a, with, with victory, amen. Amen. So yeah, I think that was really it. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, if you come, you get a cup of tea. And then 7.30 we start, we, we worship together, and then we break into different classes, amen. Final thing. If you need to change something to get here, change it. You know, if it's changeable change it. That's how important I feel these nights are. You'll be blessed and we're together because you can, it's great being together, amen, in community. Oh, that wasn't something to you. He keeps winking at me up here, this fella. All right. Well, um, the last couple of weeks we've been, the preachers have been looking at um, um, just some of the things that Jesus did and said and what we're gleaning from them and how can we put them into our lives. And, and I've been on this incredible journey with the Lord over the last year and um, it's been basically around you know putting in the energy and the effort that will match the hunger I have for Jesus in my heart I'm not a new Christian I'm 30 years a Christian and you would think 30 years you'd go you know what I know it all I've done it all I've been to Bible college a bachelor of arts degree in theology a master's degree read a thousand books on leadership studied I don't know many sermons I've preached and you would think 30 years you know it all or whatever 30 years there's a hunger for more of Jesus and you know why because there is more to Jesus there is more, and I find that any time I've allowed my Christianity, or, well, let's not say Christianity, any time I've allowed my walk with the Lord get boring, it's never been on his behalf, it's been on my behalf. And in the last year, well, it's, what, October now, 10 months, just pressing in to God to get more of who he is. And do you know what I've been getting? More. Because you get as much of Jesus as you want. It's just how much do we want them? And I've been praying for us as a church and a church in the city and the church in the nation that God would give us a wanting. That he'd give us something. He'd put something in us that everything else gets knocked aside that would have been seemingly important prior to that wanting that we just hunger after him and after him and after him. And I want to tell you what the Bible says that they who know their God, they who intimately know him, experience him, will be strong and will do great exploits. So you want to be strong? Seek him. You want to do great things in God? Seek him so you're strong enough to be able to do this. And so everything I say over the next while will be from that place. But I want you to turn in the Gospel of John to chapter 4. And I'll read it all out, and you can read along with your Bible, but but two of the, the... 
key verses will come up behind me so that um, I didn't have to put it all on a slide. But it's a famous, famous um, discourse that Jesus had with this woman. Um, the title of it is like Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman, which really bottom line was Jews and Samaritan people didn't talk. Jewish men and Samaritan women never talked. And um, so here's Jesus now, a Jewish man, now engaging with a Samaritan woman. The Jews looked at Samaritan um, people as mongrels. And um, that's how low they thought of these people. So you can see what Jesus was all about when, when I read it. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples baptized. So he left Judea and went once more to Galilee. Now he had gone through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of land ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jewish do not, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is to ask you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you a drink of living water. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Then the woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming out here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you, are, you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. So the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we were to worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are, they, they are the kind of worshippers the Father seek. God is spirit and his worshippers worshipers must worship in spirit and truth, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, is he. Amen. Quite a huge lot of conversation going on. Thousands of sermons have been preached from this passage. Thousands of different sermons. And I, I want to concentrate on, on not all of what's probably usually spoken from it. But Jesus says to her, like, you know, you, wouldn't you wonder about this woman's life? Like, she had five husbands already. Now, I don't know, like, what happened then. Did they walk out on her? Did they die? Did she poison them? Who knows? Do you know what I mean? Like, what went on. And then, um, but no matter which way that rolls out, there's a lot of pain going on there, isn't there? There's a lot of something going on that you've, you've, you've been in five relationships and for whatever reason, they don't exist anymore. And now you're with a sixth person and um, I'm sure he probably wasn't that confident if they all died. You know, like, honey, I'll get my own stuff out of the shop to eat. And uh, so you don't know what was going on there. And the fact that she came out at noon, which was the highest point of the sun, meant that she was a loner. Maybe she was ridiculed in her community. So she came out for water when nobody else came for water so that she could be isolated and alone. And Jesus stops and meets her. He's after feeding 5,000 and 7,000. 
but he has time for the one. He knows and is interested in your circumstance, in your situation. Far removed from some of the things we probably see around us today when everybody seems to be busy, but he took time out. And he says to her, he starts talking about the husbands, and she goes, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. And I read up about the Samaritan people that they didn't believe that prophets existed anymore. And now Jesus cuts in and tells her stuff about herself. And she goes, I perceive that you are a prophet. And she goes, our ancestors worshipped on this mount, but you, you Jewish claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, look, there's a day coming, in fact, there's a point you that we're not going to worship here or there, that those who my father is looking for are those who will worship in spirit and in truth. Meaning that he's not going to be locked in to a particular place or, or, or a geographical situation where that's the only place we can meet God. That He says that those now can, can worship in spirit and truth. Those who are born of the spirit will worship in the spirit and those who, are, who will know the truth will worship in truth. And so he's releasing something fresh and something new in this place. In this place. And this is what I want us to talk about. She said that, that we were told she was in a place called um, Sikar, which was like there was a, beside a mountain called Gerizim. And she Sikar has built a city at the base of this mountain and she said our ancestor says that's the place where we're supposed to worship but you Jews say that we have to worship in Jerusalem that the place to worship is Jerusalem but the Samaritan says no this is the place why was she saying that so she was down at the base of a mountain pointing up to a mountain saying no that's where our fathers told us where we were to worship now who was their fathers who was she referring to she was referring to Abraham and she was referring to Jacob, who had built altars up in that place that she was pointing at. And, and that's true, and that's right. But the reason why, the reason why the, 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 the Samaritans um, built altars up in this Gerizim mount, mountain instead of Jerusalem was because of this. If you remember back in a book called Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah there was a, a man called Sam Ballot. If you just Nehemiah is a great book. So like I'm hoping when I speak to this that you're taking note and going, I'm gonna find out what that means because that's where I say when I'm sitting down there, someone will say something, I'll take a note going, I'm gonna study that for myself and study what all that means. But this book of of, um, Nehemiah, he was building the wall in Jerusalem and securing Jerusalem, and a man called Sambala kept coming at them and telling them that they're no good and that this is all gonna fall down and that everything they'll do will be not successful. And then so he wanted part of it and Sambale when Jerusalem was built Sambale got one of um, one of the princes of Jerusalem to marry his daughter and because now he got put out of the priesthood of Jerusalem the Sambale decided to go to Mount Gerizim and build their own altar that was in competition with Jerusalem so it was an altar a worship place built out of rebellion it was built out of um, that like, well, look, they won't let you do it in there because you've married you know, a Samaritan and then, so they put you out. You can't be a priest there, so I'll make you a priest up in your own place. Now, you might think that's uncommon. It ain't. Because people decide, God says, this is the way I want it done. And humans, even today, say, I'll do it my way. But the blessing of God is only on his way. No matter how fancy the altar looks, how important and how elevated it looks, God is saying, where I'm saying, the way I say to do it, is where I back up. No matter what it looks like. Are you with me? So she, she was saying, well, our forefathers told us to build it this way. And they based it on Abraham and Jacob. So they took like a false lineage line and made their own thing. And that's what false religions do. They take what their people think and say, no, this is the way to do it, and there's the scriptures there. Okay, stay with me, I'm going somewhere. So what were the altars? What is an altar in the Bible? She was right. Abraham and Jacob did offer sacrifices on an altar up on the Mount Gerasim. They did that, but the others took what they had done and made in their theology what they wanted to do. But what's the reality? Because where does a false, there's a truth. Where does an extreme, there's a balance. 
And this is, this is what an altar is in the Bible. When you see a place in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, an altar, it usually was a place where, where they came before God to sacrifice things that God had told them to sacrifice. So it was a place that was, that was, that was bloody. It was a place of death for the animal. It was a place that symbolized somebody acknowledging and appreciating the God of the universe and they would bring their, 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 their offering to God according to God's program. You go all the way back to Cain and Abel in the scriptures. You'll see Adam's sons and daughters, two sons. You'll see the first offering on an altar. You go back to Noah, you'll see that Noah, when he was in the ark, that he, when he, when he landed on the land, that he gave an, all, an, all, an offering to God on an altar that was a pleasing aroma to God. So it's not like something new to anybody. In fact, Calvary, where Jesus died, is seen as an altar, that there was a sacrificial lamb, Jesus, a spotless lamb, um, um, sacrificed on a cross, so that all of us who believe and trust in him could have all of our sins forgiven and we would be accepted unto God. And his sacrifice was pleasing unto God, so much so that there was never has to be another sacrifice ever done again for the salvation of mankind other than that one that was made by Jesus. But then when you look at this in the Bible, and we're landing in a minute, you'll find that altars are everywhere. See, you could go, Altars, and then you go, I've never even seen an altar in the Bible, until you, then you start looking with the, the lens of an altar on your eyes, and you go, oh, there it is there, and there it is there, and there it is there. In fact, the first song we sang was what? Oh, come to the altar. We, we don't have them things organized. We don't do that in this church. It's, like, it's great when it happens. But God can speak in so many different ways through so many different people. But altars ultimately are a place of worship. A place that we don't have to go to a certain building now because we worship in spirit and truth. We don't have to go to, to, to Jerusalem, how great it is. We don't have to go to a shrine somewhere or a mountain somewhere and go, on this place alone will God meet us. No, God is spirit. And if you build an altar, not, a, not a, a, a physical altar, but if you make your life, if you give yourself over to God in certain things, that you are actually building an altar, not out of rebellion that I'll do it my way, but I want to do it God's way. Are you following me in some way? So here's the thing. Abraham was great at building alt altars. You know, Abraham, he was in a place called Mesopotamia in the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans, and God spoke to him. He didn't know God. They worshipped all types of God, actually, in, in, in the Chaldeans, in Mesopotamia. They'd light a, a, a candle, and they'd worship the candle. They'd worship the flame. And in the midst of all of that, God speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to leave this place and come out, and I'll give you a land. That is not your own. And Abraham goes out of this place. And here's where we see the first altar of Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, Go out from the land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. This is God promising. And I will bless you. And I'll make you. Listen to all the I wills. God says, I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. You can imagine that this man is being called by God and he's, God is saying to him, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make your nation great. He was one man and God was speaking about nations. He says, and not only are you going to be blessed, but you're going to be an avenue, a vehicle that the people of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. You know, even today, if you've given your heart to Jesus, you are blessed because of what God said to Abraham. So even all these thousands of years later, that we receive some of the blessing that God spoke to him. What a great God he is. That he says, I'm not only going to bless you, I'm going to use you to be a blessing to other people. And then he moves down and says a little bit, and then he moves down a bit, and he says to this, he says, Abraham passed through the land of the site of Shechem at the oak of Moreh. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to your offspring. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved on to the hill county called 
Bethel and pitched his tent between Bethel and Ai, two places. He built an altar in between them and there he called upon the name of the Lord. So out of God speaking to him, out of God saying, this is what I'm going to do, his response was, I'm going to build an altar. Wouldn't you love to know what that altar looks like? It just so happens I have a picture. I'm only missing. <laughs> There's no pictures. There's no fancy thing about this, this altar that Abraham built. He built it, it was, there was, it was just rough. It was just bricks. It was just some gathering. Why? Because God wanted to keep it simple so that everyone could do it. Their voice says to you, God is going to accept your offering if you, if you build a big cathedral. None of us could do it. But God wants to be so accessible to you and you so accessible to him that it's simple. And it's easy because he done all the hard work for us to be able to come to him. Are you with me? So he, we don't have to go, well, it's not fancy enough. It's not holy enough. It's not religious enough. He doesn't want any of that. He built it in a way and gave us in a place that Abraham could say, Lord, I thank you. The altar that he built was an altar of praise where he called upon the Lord and worshipped the Lord because God says, I'm going to give you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to use you to be, so, to be something that, that you'd never seen before. So in our lives, we can build in our homes, not a physical altar, but we can build, build an atmosphere. A culture in our homes of praise and thanksgiving to God. That sets, up the, that sets the tone for generations after generations. Because here's what happens. That in Jacob, or not Jacob, Abraham, then after this, you think this is great, a famine came on the land and he went into. The place where he met God was a place called Bethel, which means the house of God. He goes from there down to, down to Egypt because there was a famine. And he says to his wife, who was beautiful, he said, Sarah, or Sarai, he says, uh, you know the way you're beautiful? When we go down there, Pharaoh will want you to be his wife. So will you just say, I'm your brother? This is the man that's not being told he's going to inherit nations. So they agreed. And he said, he actually says, will you tell him I'm your brother so all may go well with me? And Pharaoh gave him a load of cattle and all this stuff. You can see he prospered him. And um, then Pharaoh, the Lord judged Pharaoh plague came on the land and he knew there was something wrong. He says to Abraham, you told me she was your sister. So he put them out. He says, you go. And he blessed them with all livestock and they were more prosperous going out than they were coming in. And there's people coming in here with nothing. You will be more prosperous going out. There's people that has come into the Christianity with Jesus with brokenness and heaviness. You will not be the same going out when you meet Jesus. Not just out of this building. As your life as your life goes forward, as his life went forward, he went out richer, more prosperous than he ever came in. Amen? Just take a hold of that. That's for some people. You take a hold of that. No, God, I'm, I, I want to be blessed. And I promise I won't be just someone who'll be blessed. I'll be, I promise you I'll be someone who'll be a blessing. I'll be someone who blesses other people. So Abraham had failed God. Can you imagine the, the condemnation that this man was under? He built an altar of praise to God. Within, the couple, within another season, he's down in Egypt lying about his wife. She could have been taken as Pharaoh's, one of Pharaoh's other wives. What does he do? What do you do when you fail? What do you do when you've let God down? Not only that, but you have to look at Sarah every day. Can you imagine, hey girls, can you imagine your husband saying, would you just let on your me sister? Yeah. Yeah, louder laugh than that. I know what that would mean. Just imagine it. Now he's sitting there at dinner. What does he do? Just what it says, he journeyed back from Egypt, back to Bethel, back to where he built an altar, back to where he heard God. Back to the place where God spoke his promises. And he went all, he retraced his steps to get reestablished with the God who called them. Where do we go when, 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 when we fail God? What do we do when we fail God? Do we run to another altar? Do we run to somebody else's altar? But here's what God is saying. Come back to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, confess your sin, reestablish yourself with me so that the, the, the altar can be established within your environment, within your home. I remember one time when me and Sharon would fight. Not that we ever did, but just pretended we ever fought, right? And um, so like, when, when we pretend fought, right, um, we would um, 
we would, we would, we would do well. Like, I, I, I don't mind a good row on being honest, as long as there's an outcome. Do you get me? Don't waste the row in your friendship or your marriage. Just get it out on the table, beat the living daylights over, and put it right. Because some people don't have a good row, and then the row will happen next week, and the week after, and the week after. But we, but we, we set ourselves, okay, let's do it. Let's put the boxing gloves on. Let's do it. You know, and we just, we just sort it that way. And so anyway, and we were really good at that, but our kids was around the house. And do you know what kids hear when mommy and daddy's fighting, people like that? They think the worst. Because they see in other friends' lives maybe that, well, that marriage broke up and they don't have all these words for it all and all this stuff, but they think the worst that mommy's going to kill daddy. Or daddy's going to strangle mommy. And we'd make up, but we realized we'd never make up in front of them. And someone says, when we said it to someone, says, no, how are they ever going to know how to have a row and how to seek forgiveness and receive forgiveness and move on? So when we're having a row, we tell the girls, so it's going to get heated. <laughs> Count the three, get out here. <laughs> and then when we solved it, we brought them back in. And we says, look, Sharon was at fault. <laughs> no, it was, oh, it was always, it was usually me. It was, that's once. It was usually me. And, uh, that is our fault. I've asked Matt to forgive me. I said sorry. I want you to say sorry to you that you had to endure all that. This is what Abraham was doing with the altar. He was teaching his generations, which is even us, that when you fall away from God, when you make the biggest boo-boo in your world, make, retrace your steps back to the one who loves you and calls you. It's an altar that you can put in your life, an altar of prayer, an altar of peace. There was a, there was a row between Abraham's men because God prospered him and Lot. And they, 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 all the men were fighting that, looking after the cattle. And, and Abraham, see, Abraham knew he was blessed because God said, I will, I will, I will, I will. So listen what happened. The, all the, the men were all fighting over the land, the, the pasture, and where their sheep and cattle would graze and all that. And Abraham says to Lot, his nephew, because he left the original place, and he says, Lot, come here. He says, look at all the land. They're up on a mountaintop. They're looking at all the land. He says, take your choice. If you go left, I'll go Right. You take that place, I'll go to another place. And he was given Allah the absolute choice because he trusted that God will do what God said he will do. Like if I go to the desert, I tell you, this is the much I trust in God a lot. This is Abraham speaking. I'll tell you how much I trust in God. You take the lush land. If I go to the desert, he'll make that the lush land. I'm like, come on, Jesus, help me. Give me some of that trust in you, Lord. I don't have to fight. I don't have to wrestle with my nephew to get the best. I'm like, no, God is going to bless. So I'm not going to stress. Amen? God's going to bless, so I'm not going to stress. And it says, Lot looked, and he seen the land that was luscious. And he went for it. And it says this, you can read it yourself. And he pitched his tent near Sodom. Now we all know what Sodom and Gomorrah was in the Bible and what it meant to God. He, he, he hated the sin of Sodom. Hated it. And it's there. And Lot picks what was pleasing to his eye. And he pitches his tent. Right? You know what Abraham done? He went back. You can read it yourself because we haven't got time. You, you, he went back and built an altar to the Lord. So he went from praise, prayer, peace. He's like, Lord, I'm at peace with Lot. I'm at peace with, 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 with you. I'm at peace with, with where you're bringing me. And Lord, if I have that little piece of desert land, I'm at peace with you, that your shalom is upon me, that you will even prosper that. And he built an altar. Lot didn't build an altar. Lot went down and pitched a tent. This, you read it. Near Zodom. A place that you will realize in a few moments that God actually destroyed the place with, 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 with fire from the sky. So what was going on there? And he pitched his tent, right? And that's what it says. He pitched his tent near Sodom. A couple of chapters later, there's an army that rises up against the king of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they send their armies to, 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 to wreck Sodom and Gomorrah and take all the stuff and take all the people and take all the children. take all the, And these kings attached, right? attacked and they overcame Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is what the Bible says. And they took 
lot with them who lived in Sodom. And I'm like, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Go back to a couple of chapters. It says he lives near Sodom. Now it's saying he lived in Sodom. Hello, how would you get from near to in? Then when God, when he, so Abraham went. Abraham went because he built altars. If you build an altar, you become the rescuer and not the one that has to be rescued. Law has to be rescued, had to be rescued. But it was the one who built the altar to Yahweh, to God Almighty, that says that the enemy has taken my nephew and I'm at peace with God and I praise God and I'm in communion with God in prayer. I'm going to go and get him because I'm an altar builder. And here's what I wrote down in my notes. Lord, make me a rescuer. I don't want to be in the position where I need to be rescued because I pitched me tent near some place I shouldn't be. Because it's only a matter of time before you pitch in and you go, oh look, it's, uh, did you hear that music? Man, they seem to be having a good time. Before you know it, you're in it. Before you know it, another enemy comes and takes you over. And then listen, when God was about to, to, to decimate Sodom and Gomorrah, this is what it says, because he got rescued, got, he went back to Sodom, gets rescued, goes back, and now God is going to judge um, Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is where it says, And then, um, Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Now you don't, probably don't know what that means. When you sit at the gates in them days, you were an elder of the city. You were a leader. You determined when someone would come and say, we want to bring trade into your city, the elders would sit at the city and they would decide what goes out and what comes in. And I'm like, Lord, how did you get from there to living to become an elder of a city that God is against? He didn't build an altar. If you trace it back, that was a bit Michael Jackson. If you trace it back, he took what looked good to the eye and Abraham went and built an altar to God. God builds, he gets Abraham to build another altar. Abraham says, how can I inherit the land when I haven't even got a son? He had no, he had no sons. He says, I'm old, Sarah is old. And God brings him and he says, take out some animals, put them on the altar. So he builds another altar. And God passes through the, the, the sacrifice with fire, which meant that God will keep his covenant. When, the, when an animal was sacrificed like that, there was a, they were put on the fire, which meant the animals were killed. And so if I'm making a covenant with Glenn as a human, I would say, Glenn, I'm in this till I die. And if I break the covenant, I'll die like the animal. And if you break the covenant we've made, you're dead like the covenant. That's, what, that's when they've done covenants like that. So God says, get out the animals, cut them in half, and then God came with a fire, meaning this, that the covenant is kept forever because God can never die. God can never fail. Even if you fail, God says, I will keep my covenant with you. So this covenant, this altar for us um, is, is incredible. There's an altar of sacrifice. There's an altar of, of, of giving your best. You remember, this is the last one I'll talk about, that Abraham took his son, who was now born. He got a son to be his heir. And God says, give me your son. Bring him up to a mountain and sacrifice him to me. Build an altar. You know the story. Just if you don't know the story, don't freak. He doesn't die. I could see, I could see you going like that. What? My little boy. But Abraham didn't know that. But here's what Abraham believed that tells us in Hebrews. That even if he did kill his son, that God would raise him from the dead. That's the trust he had in God. But he brings his son up, you know that. And his son is going, Dad, we're going to build the altar. Where's the sacrifice? God will provide a sacrifice, he said. And he gets him up on the mountain, he puts him on the altar, ties him down, lifts up a knife. And an angel of the Lord says, Abraham, do not touch your son. God was testing you. And because you obeyed God, everything was ratified in the blessing of God. And next minute he hears in the, in the ticket, and he goes over and grabs that yoke, ties it down, and sacrifices unto God. Now here's the bunch line in it all. 
Isaac was not the one on the altar. Abraham was. It was Abraham's trust in God that was on the altar. It was Abraham, will you give me your all? Paul says, the apostle in Romans 12.1, he asks us to lay our lives down as living sacrifices. This is our holy act of worship, it says. That God wasn't after Isaac. He was after Abraham. He was after his heart. God is not after our stuff. God is after us. He wants us that would we lay our lives down as living sacrifices. Not dead things, but living things. Holy, this is our spiritual act of worship unto God. What was Isaac? It was Abraham's everything. He was his everything. He was his future. Everything that he built these altars for was for Isaac and the generations to come. And I'll tell you how important these altars are. Altars of praise and peace and prayer and provision and sacrifice that we do. If you look through the rest of the altars, Abraham's son Isaac built altars. Jacob, Isaac's son, built altars. That it wasn't just about Abraham, it was about all those who have to come. All those that if our kids see us falling away from God and we just go away from God, how will they know ever how to trace themselves back to the altar where God touched your life, opened up your life to Him? That, that how will they ever know unless we're the ones that are humble enough to go, God, I, 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 I messed her up, but I'm back. And you're a forgiven, kind Father who accepts the wayward back, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I'm getting myself back on the altar. You know what the problem is about living sacrifices on the altar? Sometimes we warm our way off the altar. And before you know it, we're pitching our tent somewhere we shouldn't be pitching our tent. Finally. Did I say that three times? Finally. You see, Abraham builds, a te- builds an altar between, in Bethel, between Bethel and Ai. Bethel means house of God. Ai means heap of ruins. And those who are in the house of God have a spiritual responsibility to those who are living in the ruins. To be able to tell them and show them there's a better way. There's a way of peace. There's a way of communion with God. And he wants you. He wants you to come to the altar. He wants you to come to him. We owe him that. Abraham builds an altar between Bethel and Ai. The second city that Joshua took in the promised land was where? Ai. You can set an altar up today that will cause your generations to have victory in the future. It's called spiritual inheritance. That what you do today can affect four and five, six and seven generations down the road. That what you establish in God gives them a chance to take hold of a promised land that God has promised us. I don't know about you, but that's the most amazing thing in my world. I don't know about you, but that lights me up on the inside. God, give me a picture. Get the worship team back if it's possible. Or just play piano, whatever. Um, God, give me a picture. And this was the picture. I was looking over the whole land of Ireland. I was in my sitting room, in prayer. But I'm looking out the window, which I wasn't looking for any reason. I was just faced that way. And maybe Ken and Rob or Sharon was behind there. But I was just worshipping. Because altar is your place of worship. And God wants to set our worship on fire. He wants to set it on fire. How does he set our worship on fire? He shows us his love. He shows us what he's about, who he is. And our worship ignites. Gosh, this is the God I worship. This is the God that I, I'm bound to. I, I'm, I'm letting go of any other false gods to get a hold of who he is. And here's was my vision. I could see all over Ireland. And I could see all houses. I could see semi-detached houses and apartment blocks. I could see big houses, mansions. I could see little thatched roof houses. Oh, like, it was like I could see the whole land, but my eyes were closed. It was like, this was in a moment. A moment. I could see all of that in a moment. And in all of the apartments and all the houses and all the dwelling places, they were on fire. 
But not a physical fire that was ruining them or bringing destruction. It was a fire that people were sitting in their sitting rooms with their loved ones. And they were worshipping Jesus. All over the land. Houses on fire with worship. What would those people have been doing? Building altars. Not physical, but a culture in the home where God is worshipped. Where God is prayed to. See, when we had, we, not we had to, when we chose to seek forgiveness in front of our kids, we were putting a stone in their altar. When they see us praying together about things, we're putting a stone in their altar. When they see us rejoicing because God has answered, we're putting a stone in their altar. This is what the Bible says about Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. When God was introducing himself to another new person, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. What was he saying? As I was faithful to them, I'll be faithful to you. As I was God to them, I'll be God to you. And he introduces himself. Imagine God saying, in your world, just think of your, your generation. So save it was me, or four daughters, so I can't name them all. I just name my eldest girl. So Noel, I'm the God of, of Sharon and Patrice and Penny. Imagine him saying it to your generations, I'm the God who was faithful to your mom, I'm the God who was faithful to you, and I'm the God that will be faithful to your children. And every time we do something as an act of worship unto God, we're putting a stone in our altars. We're building it up. We're strengthening it. And that somewhere down the road, what even we haven't seen yet, they will see. If I never get to see all the fires in Ireland with the physical eye, I've already seen them. We're a a spiritual eye. And I can declare it to my kids and their kids that God is going to do something great in their nation. That will be all set around worship unto God. And God says that there's a praise that He releases, that there's a praise in the Bible called to heal a praise, not to kill a praise, to heal a praise, that that's the praise that comes spontaneous out of a heart that loves Jesus and has been touched by Jesus. And this is where He says that in that type of praise, I inhabit. Boom! I come and live in that type of praise. I come in and dwell in that type of praise. And that's the praise that was the houses were on fire in. And the glory of God came to our nation. And if I never get to see with these eyes, I've already seen it. I'm already in the process of telling my kids and their kids and their kids. And here's the beauty. You and I can help fulfill some of that vision tomorrow morning. Tuesday morning. That we get up, we get up, we get it, whatever. My granddaughter, she's not here, Penny, she's staying with us last night. She says, no, no, can I put on the telly? Oh, no, you don't want the telly this morning, honey. This is what we do this morning. We put on worship. This is what we do. I was sitting there reading my word. I'm not trying to impress her. I impress you, impress you. That's our heritage. That's her stones being put in her life. And we can get to do that this week. All of us. We can get to do that. Imagine someone walking in on you. And you go, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just reading my word. You're reading your Bible? What's them songs? I'm worshipping God. You're creating an atmosphere for God all the time to come in and dwell amongst us. Can we stand? God bless you this week. I'll show you next week about Jerusalem. I didn't talk about Jerusalem. If you want my notes, you can ask me because there's a load of stuff in there about the meanings of all those mountains and places where God met him. Just had too much content today. But Lord, here we are. And we say that you're our God and our King. And I ask today, Lord, that you would come by the power of your Spirit right now. And as we wait on you, that we would receive from you. Could I be bold enough to ask you just to put out your hands? I am. In the morning time, there's houses over the city where people just open up their house. Some of them are air houses 
Monday, Tuesday, Thursday morning at half six to eight o'clock. Anna Highlands is another time. Louise is another time. Laurie is going to be another time. Like So they're not all the same time. And what do we do? We're just inviting people to come and wait on God, worship God. And unknowns to us, we're fulfilling some of that vision that I had last week. What we're doing there, we're worshiping. We don't need a cathedral. We don't need a building like this. Where two or three are gathered, he's promises to be there. And see, when I get up in the mornings, about ten past six, Caroline will just be there as well. Brother Caroline. And say if I'm there at half six and someone is not there, I find myself, I kick into the ward and I put on worship, but I'm never, I'm never easy, I'm never settled. Why? Because I'm expecting Ken or Caroline or Rob. And I find myself looking out the window all the time looking for that car. Why? Because I'm expecting them. And I'm waiting with expectation for them to come and knock at the door so I can let them in. That's the expectation God's going to put in your heart right now. That when you look for him, you'll find him. You're expecting him to come because he always turns up. He always turns up. He always turns up and that sort of little, like, are they here yet? Are they, is he there yet? That, like, and then they knock at the door. Well, at my window they knock. And I go and open the door and I go, guys, you're welcome. And Jesus, we just open the doors of our life right now and say, you're welcome. Come on, you talk to him. And I want my life, I want to be an altar builder for my world, for my life, for my children's life, for my generations, that the victories I don't see, they will see in Jesus' name. That, Lord, our house would be full of honor to God and praise to God and prayer to God and the peace of God would rule and reign and the provision of God would be rich. And those who are needing provision, receive it. He's your God. He's made a covenant with you that His Son was sacrificed on a cross so that your prayers can be yes and amen in Him. Jesus, I accept you as my sacrifice on the altar called Calvary on the cross. If you haven't asked them, accept them. That you paid the price for my sin. You took my punishment. Now can I have your peace? Can I have your healing? Can I have your freedom? I accept your salvation. Just say it to him. You don't, if you don't know all them words, you can say, Jesus, I accept you. Come on in. He knows. He knows what you mean. I give you my life, Jesus. Let my life be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto you. I put Noel on the altar. I, I, I put, just say your own name. Lord, because I want to build something that my Abraham's, Isaac and Jacob's, my kids can look back and go, thanks, thanks Father Abraham. Thanks Noel. Thanks Tom. Thanks Ken. Thanks Heather. Thanks Caroline, whatever your name is. That they will look back and go, I have something that is so deep and so wide that the world can be blessed through my life. So just take a moment just to wait on them. And receive. And construct. He'll give you the instructions to construct. He'll give you shoulders to be able to carry the vision he'll place in your heart at your altar of praise and worship. The praise and worship is not just about songs. It's about living your life. It's about going to work tomorrow, raising the kids, being a friend. Everything that we do is an act of worship unto God. Singing is part of it, a great part of it, but it's only a part of it. So I say in the name of Jesus, be blessed. And that your children will be blessed and your friendships and relationships will be blessed. And that your workplace will be blessed. And your property will be blessed. And your seeking of God will be blessed. And your knowing of God will be blessed. And the shalom of God, the peace of God, 
the peace that transcends understanding, the peace that brings you uh, prosperity and wholeness and completeness, or release it into your life, into your family, that every place that is at odds will, will, will come into alignment with God's plan for your life. That those who are far off, they'll come in. Those who are supposed to be away from you will go. That those things that are supposed to be yours, we call them to you now. And if it's one line of the scriptures tomorrow in your own home, if you're on your own, do you know what I love about these guys building the altars? They didn't need to go to Liberty to build. They didn't need to go to Hillsong to build. They didn't need to go to YouTube to build. They just start building. That was made possible for every individual to be able to do this and say, God, I'm here. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. I don't know any of these songs, but I'm here and I thank you for your goodness. Can you put your hand on the shoulder of someone beside you? The Bible says, I'll make you a blessing to be a blessing. Would you just pray a blessing over that family, over that person? You mightn't have the words. Just say, I bless you in Jesus' name. I release God's goodness, God's provision, God's peace. I release just a heart of praise into your life. I release the wanting of God in your life that Noel talked about. I release it. And I tell you that your kids and their kids and their kids will say thank you to you. Now you sacrifice something today, they get blessed tomorrow. You give of yourself today, they will receive of it tomorrow. That's why Wednesdays is important. You give of your Wednesdays this week and they get blessed in their Wednesdays of 20 years time. Because I've learned how to pray. I've learned the foundational stones. I've learned what it is to be a teenager on fire for Jesus. And I learned how to be a parent that can, that can nurture that and champion that in their lives. So I say over each of our lives, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord causes his face to shine upon you. The Lord lifts up his countenance upon you and he gives you right now shalom. And all the people said, Amen and Amen.